Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Deanna and the DebtWire ABS podcast, in which we explore various corners of asset-backed securities. Today's podcast is a little different. So instead of talking debt markets, we will be discussing a new challenger bank that's um, gearing up for a launch in the U.S. in October. Arrival Bank uh, plans to serve the underbanked uh, businesses, the underbanked communities, and include including small businesses in the crypto space. But before we dive in, I would like to introduce uh, my colleague, Vedic Trivedi. He's been interning at DebtWire ABS for the past couple of months. And hi, Vedic. Thanks for joining. Hey, thank you for having me here. How's the internship got going? Not sick of us yet? Yeah, it's going pretty great, honestly. People are helpful. They're nice. I get to learn something new every day. So that's going pretty nice. It's a good review. Come intern with us. All right. So Vedic, um, why did, how did uh, Rival catch your attention? Why do we so, have the guests here? Challenger banks have been growing at an exponential rate in the past several years in Europe and the UK. And they have made a footprint in the US in the recent years with N26 and Monzo launching here this year. On the other hand, crypto uh, sector has been having its ups and downs with businesses in the sector traditionally having limited to no access to banking services. Arrival Bank seems to touch on both corners. And that's why I thought it would be pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we have Jeremy Berger and Igor Pesin, the co-founders of Arrival Bank with us to break it all down for us. So how are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having us today. It's a pleasure to be here. We're excited. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Can we just start uh, by mm-hmm. guys giving us a quick rundown of what Arrival is about, just a high-level overview? Sure. Uh, I think first it's important to understand where we come from. So we come from the venture capital world of fintech. For the last six years, my team has been investing into fintechs across the world. We created Life Sarita. It's one of the first fintech-focused venture capital funds based in Singapore. Uh, we've invested into some of the pioneers in fintech and digital banking. Uh, for example, we've had nine exits. Four of those exits are coming from digital banks. So we've exited some banks like Simple, Move-In, Fedor Bank from Germany, so on and so forth. Um, about two years ago, my team decided to start building an adventure on our own. So Arrival Bank is more or less a spin-off from a VC firm. So that's kind of a unique kind of segue, and you don't often see that. Um, so on a very high level we've identified underbanked businesses that are rejected by not only traditional banks, but also digital banks. And we identify them as abnormal customers. So Arrival is the first fintech bank for abnormal customers. When we say abnormal customers, we're talking about businesses like startups, freelancers, crypto or blockchain related businesses, maybe even charity organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did our deep due diligence and analysis to really understand how universal this problem is. Why are these businesses underbanked and where are they underbanked? Um, so we were very confident when we started this journey about two years ago that this is our mission. We want to bring digital banking to underbanked businesses across the world. So that's who we are. That's where we come from. Um, we come from the venture capital world, but we decided to build this on our own. So that's pretty cool and exciting. And you were just um, explaining me a minute ago the difference between a fintech bank and a challenger mm-hmm, bank. Mm-hmm. Just quickly, could you tell us what's the main differentiator? Yeah. Um, so it started actually, we wrote a book. Our CEO, Vladislav Slotky, he wrote a book called The First Fintech Bank's Arrival. This was about two plus years ago. 
basically describing what the next generation bank will look like after these neo banks, after these challenger banks in the UK and Europe. What is the third wave of digital banking? Um, the first wave started in the U.S. with neo banks like Move-in, Simple, some of our portfolio companies that we invested into. Essentially, these are front-end fintechs or interfaces that rely on third-party financial institutions. They can't deliver their products and services without having a licensed partner bank. So those are neo banks. The second wave, challenger banks, primarily started in the U.K. and Europe with the likes of Monzo, Revolut, Starlink, so on and so forth, and that stemmed primarily from innovative regulations coming from the UK and other regulators on the Europe side. Um, so that was the second wave, challenger banking. Now, the third wave, and this is kind of what we're predicting, and we wrote this in a book, uh, which I mentioned before, the first fintech bank's arrival. We presented this concept in this book at some of the top business schools in the world. We went to Wharton, we went to NCAD, I think we went to something like 10 different countries to present the book. Um, and initially, the first fintech bank means that you have an open API banking platform where you can host third-party fintechs. Um, fintech started, let's say, five, 10 years ago on a very high level as unbundling the bank. So basically, fintechs are identifying weaknesses within banks and then developing products and services to make it better from a product standpoint, UI, UX, pricing, whatever. That was the first trend, unbundling the bank. Now, in 2019, it's all about rebundling the bank. All these amazing fintechs exist. How do you bring them together into this ecosystem or marketplace play um, under one bank? So basically, there's several key elements of a fintech bank. First of which is that we're powered by open APIs, meaning we can integrate these amazing third-party fintechs into our platform. Second, and the most fundamental aspect, is having our own license. So that's a big difference between neobanks and fintech banks. Fintech banks actually have their own licenses. Um, and above all, we deliver a unified interface, meaning what if all your favorite fintechs existed as one bank? All you need is one bank account with a rival, and now you have access to these qualitative fintechs that are designed for your day-to-day -day needs. Because effectively, that's what the bank of the future will do. They understand what you need on a day-to-day -day basis, and they deliver a customized portfolio of products and solutions, not only what you need today, but also in the future. Mm -hmm. um, so that's our, that's our expectation, that's our strategy moving forward. Got it. And that's, uh, there was a lot of things there. So I'm wondering in October, which is around the corner, Igor, what are we going to see as the first uh, version of Arrival? Like what is it going to be um, initially before launching all these other things? Right. So we have phases how we deliver product and functionality to our clients. When we launch, it's only simple banking account that we provide. So it's, uh, first, you have to be onboarded as a client. So we have our tool named um, AID. It's a compliance onboarding tool, which we del deliver like, like in a quality that will allow you to be like, you know, onboarded very fast and with deep compliance from our side. Mm -hmm. So you are onboarded as a client quite fast and we provide you interface, uh, which is like digital, very, um, I would say like user-friendly. So you'll get basic functionality, like how to, uh, control your payments, how to make uh, transfers, and we will integrate both uh, domestic transfers as well as international transfers. So you can send money to wherever you want to send. So that is the first version that we will deliver in at the end of this year. Got it. So like an interface, a banking interface also has a money transfer element to it. Is it also like a 
deposit account tied to it, or you, you're just connecting an account from your existing uh, banking we provider? We op open current accounts for clients, right? Okay, so you'll be able to take in de deposits. Yes, right. Got it. And uh, Jeremy, you also mentioned that you will have a banking license at mm -hmm. some point. Are you in the process of application and mm -hmm. which, uh, I know there is like a whole host of different licenses you can right. apply for as right. a bank. Which one are you going after? Yeah, so we applied in June of 2018 for an international banking license that's actually based in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, as you know, is a U.S. territory. It's protected under the U.S. federal banking system. Uh, but effectively, we'll get this license and we'll be able to onboard businesses not only from the U.S., but beyond and abroad, um, assuming they pass our KYC, of course. So we expect to get this license in the next couple months and hopefully go live at the end of this year. In parallel, our idea is to build a borderless bank, essentially a bank that exists without borders that can serve businesses from any part of the world. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that we'll have touch points in Europe and in Asia. So with that being said, we started the application process in Europe for a license. And then in parallel, we're looking at different options right now in Asia as well. Yeah, just maybe to add Small comment here, so our first license, which is International Banking License, Jeremy just mentioned, allows us to provide banking services to any clients from any country worldwide. So while we apply for other licenses in other jurisdictions, from mm -hmm. the first month when we launch, we can serve clients from any country, like Singapore, United States, United Kingdom, Europe, uh, as, as soon as they match our compliance requirements, we can onboard them and provide them banking services. Right, and um, those banking services right now would include the money transfer um, um, service. Right, um, for this we will integrate with one of FinTech. We are currently on the negotiation stage with several money transfer companies. Mm -hmm. So when we launch, we will integrate the best product which we will identify and provide to our clients. Got it. And um, Jeremy, you also mentioned uh, previously that there's going to be a lending aspect to this bank also for the underserved uh, businesses, crypto, gig, and freelance sectors mm -hmm. too. Um, how can you describe how you will be going about that? Uh, you said that you mentioned that it won't be balance sheet lending. So this, right. could you describe the right. process around So that? one thing we have to understand, first of all, small to medium-sized businesses, our target market is the backbone of the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. There's over 28 million small businesses that exist, but at the same time, their needs kind of differentiate on a day-to-day -day basis. So what we've done is we've identified about 10 different products or verticals within FinTech that ranges from corporate expense cards to lending tools to loans to credit cards, accounting support, etc. And for each product, we'll integrate a FinTech. So with that being said, one of those FinTechs will ultimately be a lending FinTech. Uh, we don't intend to lend off our own balance sheet, so that means our balance sheet risk will be lower than other digital banks. Um, and ultimately, our focus on abnormal customers means we don't need to compete with traditional or digital banks. Simply put, they're not serving these kinds of guys today. Um, above all, what that means is that we don't have to spend a lot of money on sales or marketing. That means we can focus on margins and profitability. Um, but going back to your question, we expect lending to be a fundamental product that we'll offer um, to certain SMEs on our platform for sure. So I'm curious about that. Um, you said that you'll be integrating with fintechs to be able to serve these abnormal customers, right, and right. those fintechs currently do not serve those customers. So I'm wondering, like, how are you going to serve as that middleman to, you know, kind of make the other fintechs pay sure. attention to these underback customers? Sure. So I think it helps that we come from the fintech venture capital world. So a lot of these fintechs know us. We know them personally. We invested in some of them before. 
Um, but they understand our vision. So some of these fintechs already target SMEs. That's not the problem. The problem is that these SMEs have to go through this chaotic banking experience, looking for providers that actually give them products and services or willing to serve them basic needs such as accounts. So this problem that we're solving is very simple. What if we just bring all these fintechs that exist into one banking platform, which I said before. Um, I hope that answers your question. I forgot your question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can maybe elaborate on it. So currently these small medium businesses, freelancers, they don't have banking experience, bank accounts sometimes, and they don't have bank history mm-hmm. that they can provide to these fintechs to show what their business look like, what, how big, let's say, transaction volume, what, whatever. So first we provide to these clients access to bank services. They are served by our bank. Mm-hmm. Based on this, they have in history, you know, like banking history, transactional history that they can show to these fintech companies, lenders, and explain how their business, you know, like uh, exists today and they can get access to these loans. I see. Yeah, that explains. So basically, you will be able to help them build some sort of banking transactional history, history before right. they can access um, credit and capital. Interesting. So uh, also f- uh, interesting about about this model is kind of your initial focus on crypto lend- crypto businesses. Was wondering how did that come about? Like why how did you why did you identify this sector as like a potential customer for you guys? So it started. Maybe I'll start and Eager can chime in in a second. It started about two years ago. So our venture capital fund was approached by hundreds of different businesses coming to us with the same problem. And most of these guys were crypto or blockchain related businesses. So two years ago, you have to understand where the market was. You know, there's high level of hype and whatnot around the crypto and blockchain market. Um, so initially, that was the demand that we saw. And it's actually persisting. So today, it hasn't really changed. Most of the customers on our waiting list, we have a thousand businesses on our waiting list right now ready to go live with us. We'd say a good portion of them come from the crypto blockchain market. Um, Bottom line, you could read stories about banks in Israel, Thailand, Australia, US, it doesn't really matter, that are rejecting or closing or even freezing accounts of crypto-related businesses. That's our target market initially when we launch, um, but we'll expect to definitely onboard and serve more traditional, or I should say maybe modern tech startups, fintech startups. Um, startups, freelancers, etc. Yeah, maybe just to add a bit about um, history of this, how we identified this problem. In 2017, when that was like boom of crypto, ICO, and you know, in general about this blockchain market, uh, those companies, you can read many articles about successful ICO when companies raised like dozens of millions or sometimes hundreds of millions of investments. But we been at this time venture capital fund. We met these companies, people in person, hundreds of them. And when you talk to them directly, the picture is a bit different that you can see in media or you know like mm-hmm. to, to to follow them in social net media, let's say. So they have many problems. For example, they have these crypto raised investments, but they don't have simple generic banking services to let's say pay salaries to their employees or to pay their suppliers they can do it in crypto but they can't move it to fiat and to provide you know like proper governance you know like pay taxes whatever so while all these clients are quite big companies which you would love to serve they have a lot of operations they have a lot of money on their account 
they are not banked. Mm-hmm. And this is big opportunity for many banks, not only for us, obviously. However, it's much more difficult and unusual to work with such clients. So they are new generation of startups, of tech companies. Banks don't understand how to onboard them, how to track their operations. You know, like for them, it's more, it's easier to just to decline their applications and work with normal traditional businesses. So for us, it was like clear that there is opportunity which we need to you know, jump into. Makes sense. And the volatility in the crypto sector is not so much of a concern right now? Um, again, so we are digital, traditional, I would say bank in a, in a way that we don't work with crypto. We work with companies which are mm-hmm. crypto related businesses. So for us, it's more important if this company is sustainable in the long term, in the long run, and that they have, you know, like proper business intentions, you know, like they are not some company which came to the market just to, you know, like to get profits mm-hmm. and then go run, go out of business. Right. Right. And Jeremy, you mentioned that, you know, you're going to plug into several of the fintechs uh, potentially in the U.S. and uh, abroad as well. Um, uh, just was, uh, yeah, just was wondering if you foresee at any point kind of partnering also with traditional banks, uh, you know, raising uh, warehouse lines or anything similar for mm-hmm. any of the products that you guys are offering. Yeah. So Eager mentioned before one of our products, AID, it's our compliance solution. Um, and it's also our X factor. So when I say X factor, It'll be one of our biggest revenue streams, compliance. And usually compliance is a headache. It's not a key feature or passion for a bank. So with that being said, we've been approached by traditional banks that are interested in using our compliance. In fact, we've been approached by almost, I think, 14 or 15, uh, primarily coming from Asia and Europe. Um, so with that being said, long term, our goal is to become a banking as a service play, something like Solar- Solaris Bank from Germany, but of the U.S., uh, what that means is that we'll help competitors launch and grow on our platform to leverage our license, to leverage our banking platform, to leverage our compliance, etc. So we don't forecast ourselves competing with traditional banks. Instead, we see ourselves working closely with them. Maybe compliance, maybe it'll be fintech integrations, etc. But in the short term, primarily we'll be working with fintechs, I'd say. Okay. Makes sense. Um, last question. Uh, just around the uh, kind of funding of the company right now, um, where are you guys? Are you raising any rounds? Um, what's the process there? Yeah, good question. So last year we raised $1 million seed round. Um, the idea is that later this year we'll raise a Series A round of $10 million, which will be linked to the issuance of our license. For that round, we've already been approached and met with some of the bigger dogs in venture capital, and we expect their participation in the Series A. But what we're doing right now is we're raising a pre-Series A round of $3 million, which will effectively gear us up to launch. Um, We have a million and a half already committed out of the $3 million, so we expect to close the round in the next few weeks and hit that $3 million target. In parallel, I shouldn't say in parallel, you'll cut that out later, we're actually launching this pre-Series A round. We launched it, I should say, on Seed Invest, which is an SEC U.S. licensed broker dealer, um, equity crowdfunding platform. So we launched with them last month. We raised some money on there from accredited investors. And then in parallel, we launched on Crowdcube, which is, I think, the U.K.'s leading equity crowdfunding platform mm-hmm. that had very successful raises already for fintechs, like Monzo raised on there before. Um, so we're raising money from retail investors in, in the U.K. right now as well. 
sense. I think that's a good way, a uh, good place to um, conclude the podcast for today. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Um, good luck with the launch in October. We'll look forward to see how that goes. And thanks, everyone, uh, for listening in. Thank you. Thanks. It was a lot of fun.